stand together, please shake hands with everyone around you. Let them know you're glad to see them here in the Lord's house this evening. fellowshipping. So good to see you this evening. I do have a number of announcements for you. Our youth rallies will begin again this coming month, the third Friday of September. Uh, again, we're excited about that. Uh, so moms, dads, parents, uh, make sure that young people are in their places for that. And then visitor month also will begin next month on the buses. So we're going to be having a lot of young people some of them have never been to church in their lives. I know that's amazing, but uh, some of them never been to church. And so when we bring them in here and we ask them to behave like church folks, they don't know what that means right yet. Uh, so we have to have a little patience with them. I'm so glad someone has some patience with me. Amen. And then also Big Day. We finally um, have settled on a date on Big Day. Uh, we're going to be on November 6th. Uh, do know that that's Time Change Sunday. It is Time Change Sunday, but um, the way it worked out last year, it really didn't hurt us. It was almost a help to us. Uh, so primarily for that, uh, we'll be on November 6th again on Big Day. So mark your calendar for that. Let's start praying that we'll see the Lord's house more than full, the buses more than full, Sunday school more than full, and uh, the ultimate goal of it all is bringing honor and glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. And our Lord said, here it is my Father glorified that we bear much fruit. And uh, that's soul winning, isn't it? Uh, so we want to see souls saved and lives changed. That's why we do what we do. November 6th, mark your calendars for it, please. All right, let's get our songbooks, if you will, and turn to number two. Number two. Oft times the day seems long, our trials hard to bear. We're tempted to complain, to murmur and despair. But Christ will soon appear, 
Usher, would you come? I talked with Brother Howell a while ago, and uh, Debbie, they let Debbie go ahead and go home. He said they took x-rays and all kind of stuff and didn't find anything. I don't know if he meant medically or literally that they didn't find anything. <laughs> you didn't get that, did you? Uh, they were taking x-rays of her heart. <laughs> So pray for, continue to pray for her. They they don't know, you know, what was causing the problem that she was having. And then also pray for uh, Mike and his family. I guess they'll be coming back tomorrow. Today? Okay. Uh, so pray for them. I hope they don't run into the rain that we had. Wow. Boy, that was, that was something, wasn't it? We got those uh, things around the top part of the office over there and and they're about that deep. And there was water up halfway up yeah. uh, on the, those things there. I thought I was going to have to evacuate because it'd be coming in the windows there in just a little bit. But, uh, boy, I've never seen so much rain in such a short period of time. Anyway, we're glad you're here. Um, you can tell this is a Baptist church, can't you? You know, 14 drops of rain keep 15 Baptists at home. <clears throat> and um, I think that's what's happened here tonight. All right, let's bow our heads and look to the Lord in prayer and ask his blessings on the offering and on our service here tonight. Brother Jeremiah, would you lead us in prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, tonight we ask that you would bless us.
Amen. first time I heard this song, I thought with just a few minor changes, it could have been a song about me. And I think when you hear it, if you're 50 or older, you'll probably think the same thing that uh, I'll just go ahead and sing it. They were both made of leather. Both black and frayed and worn We'd been brought up to respect them From the day that we were born One came here from England Been handed down for years The other one was ordered from A catalog at Sears One my mama read to me Till I was well into my teens I thought the only thing the other one was for was to hold up daddy's jeans till I told told a lie and learned it had another purpose too out behind the shed my daddy said this'll hurt me more than you one had my daddy's name on it the other said King James with love they taught us lessons and we feared them both the same one led us to heaven, the other left a well. Those were the days when kids were raised with a Bible and a bell. I remember when I was 12, I stole a dime store comic book. Mama read where the scripture said I should take back what I took. When I refused, my daddy grabbed my arm and said, Come on, I needed more, he knew, than just Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. Sometimes they made me cry, sometimes they made me fight and mad. And I wished I'd been raised without them like some other children had. But now I'm grown with kids of my own And I know just how they felt You know, it seems to me What the world still needs Is a Bible and a bell One had my daddy's name on it The other said King James With love they taught us lessons And we feared them both the same One led us to heaven The other left a well were the days when kids were raised with a Bible and a bell. 
You know, it seems to me what the world still needs is a Bible and a bell. Thank you. Turn your Bibles to the book of Philippians, the second chapter. <clears throat> Philippians chapter 2, let's begin reading in verse 12. Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain nor labored in vain. Now, this is a very important uh, portion of, of God's word where we're described here as blameless and harmless or innocent children of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom you shine as lights in the world holding forth the word of life. Now I want to, the way I've outlined this, I've, I've got three, three points in here. I was taught, you know, we prepare a message, have three points in a poem. So I don't have a poem tonight, but I do have three points. And so I'm going to, I'll tell you what they are, uh, and I'm posing three questions here. Where are we, who are we, and how are we to live? <clears throat> so first of all, where are we? Look at verse 15. Where are we? We're in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. <clears throat> now, if there's, if there's ever a, a verse of Scripture that fits the generation we're living in, now, this is it, isn't it? We're living in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Now here, uh, Philippi, this is uh, it's really a, an unusual book. I think you probably know that Paul was in prison when he was writing this, when he inspired to write this. <clears throat> um, and he's writing here back to a, a city in Greece, Philippi. It was in north, north, uh, northeast Macedonia along the Ignatian Highway, which was a Roman trade road. So it was a town that basically had to absorb people going in both directions. It was uh, kind of a cosmopolitan uh, town. It was on the 
Strymon River, which also allowed for uh, vessels and cargo and all that, uh, ships, boats, and all that to move on the water. Uh, so it was a strategic place. And there were gold mines there in the uh, Philippi region, and those gold mines attracted a fellow by the name of Philip of Macedon. Now, you may recognize that Philip of Macedon was the father of Alexander the Great. And he was drawn to this place because it was strategic in terms of trade and also because of the gold mines. So he annexed the reason. In other words, he drew it to himself as part of his Greek empire. And he fortified a small town at the time. And that small town was known as Crenides, just a small town. And the word Crenides means little fountain. It had natural springs there. And after he took over that town and fortified it, he renamed it Philippi after himself. <clears throat> Named after Philip of Macedon, the, the Greek pagan. When the Romans captured the, uh, or conquered the Greek Empire in the second century BC, uh, it still, they left it with that name, the name of Philippi. Roman, Romans conquered it, turned it into a Roman province, of course. <clears throat> in 42 BC, and this is kind of an interesting historical footnote, in 42 BC, one of the greatest battles in Roman history was fought there. It was a battle with some very familiar figures. It was called the Battle of Philippi. And the forces were led by Mark Anthony and Caesar. 110,000 men that were under their, under their uh, leadership. They defeated the forces of Brutus and Cassius who had 90,000 men. 40,000 men were killed in that battle. A complete bloodbath. Back in those days, uh, they didn't have artillery to shoot with. They used knives and swords. So you can imagine the blood. The battle actually marked the end of the Roman Republic and the beginning of the Roman Empire. <clears throat> At that time... Uh, Philippi was largely settled by soldiers and uh, inhabitants that were the roughest and toughest and most sinful and gross of people in a culture. <clears throat> I'm telling you all that to kind of tell you what kind of a place it was and what the times were like in it, uh, to the people there, the Christians that were there at this time. It was a pagan, idolatrous, crooked, perverse place. The Lord uh, led Paul to Philippi to establish the first church in Europe on his second missionary journey. And you find the story about that in the 16th chapter of Acts. And it starts out with Paul being thrown in jail. You remember the story. Uh, you know the story of the Philippian jailer. The believers there in Philippi were desperately poor. They, um, they're actually described in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Now we know about the situation there uh, financially because uh, this is where we get our 
our uh, teaching about the Faith Promise Missions offering. Even though the people were in deep poverty, they were very generous. They were going above their means. And that's what the Faith Promise is all about. It's going beyond your means when you're giving to missions. So there's a lot going on here. There's a lot, lot here. Uh, there's paganism, there's corruption, there's evil, there's persecution, and there's also division in the church. Paul writes about that. He admonishes uh, some of the folks there. He calls them by name, by the way. You wouldn't get away with that today, would you? <laughs> but uh, he tells them, you know, they need to straighten up. They need to straighten up and fly right. And um, so that was, the, that was the situation. Paul writes this letter from Rome in the fourth year of his Roman imprisonment. He's in jail. He's in prison during his time. And in spite, in spite of all that, in spite of all that I've said here, the book of Philippians is known as the epistle of what? Joy. Isn't that something? The epistle of joy. Paul's in jail. He's in prison. He's waiting for the edict from Nero to have his head chopped off. And that, by the way, it's not going to be much longer. And uh, he knows what his fate is. But he writes here, and calls, Paul calls for him to be joyful as he live in this crooked and perverse generation. And by the way, that could be a description in general of the whole world, couldn't it? I guess we could just sum it up by saying that that's how the world is. It's crooked. It's perverted. Uh, the word crooked is from the word scolios, which we get our word scoliosis, uh, which has to do with the curvature of the spine. Uh, the word means to be bent or twisted, uh, to be deviating from the standard. And this is nothing new, is it? This deviation from the divine standard. <clears throat> you remember in Proverbs chapter 2 and verse 11, it says, Discretion shall preserve thee, and understanding shall keep thee to deliver you from the way of the, of the evil man, from the man who speaks froward, F-R-O-W-R-D, and that word there means perverse, who speaks perverse things for those who leave the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who delight in doing evil and rejoice in the frowardness or perversity of evil, whose paths are crooked and who are froward in their paths. The idea of being crooked and perverse describes that natural humanity that distorts and twists every sinner. The Bible says that the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Proverbs chapter 21 verse 8, it says, the way of the guilty man is crooked. Isaiah 59 verse 8 says, they made their paths crooked. Perverse, perverse, distorted. So anywhere, anywhere you go, the similarity of people in a nation is not the color of their skin. It's not their mutual 
ethnic history, the similarity of people in any nation is that they are crooked and perverse. They're wicked. You go to Romans chapter 3, it says, There's none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There's none that doeth good. There's none that seeketh after God. They all have the poison of asp under their lips. Folks, this is the world we live in. This is, this is not new to us. Now, here in America, we've enjoyed over 400 years of relative peace because our forefathers saw to it. They left us a constitution and a bill of rights that was based on the principles of the word of God. This has been what has governed us for all of these years. And God has blessed that. God made America the greatest nation on the face of the earth in every way. Who was it that were the first to put somebody on the moon? They can talk about they can talk about all the uh, you know the education of people in Japan and uh, Germany and places like that, but uh, what you get out of Japan is radios and toasters and what you get out of Germany is Volkswagens what you get out of America is men and women on the moon now you couldn't say that today because our our educational system here in America is rotten to the core and they're no longer teaching reading writing and arithmetic they're now teaching whether uh, you know, for you to decide if you're four or five years old, make the decision whether you want to be a boy or a girl. What business does our educational system have teaching that to our children? This is the world. This is the world we live in. Uh, America has become like the rest of the world. We're no longer we're no longer a Christian nation. So the first question is, where are we? And the answer is, we're exactly where God wants us. I'm talking about us. I'm talking about Christians. I'm talking about those of us that are born again. We're we're where the Lord wants. We're exactly where He wants us. We're in a. And notice, I said in. We're not a part of it, but we're in a crooked and perverse nation. And beyond that, we're in a nation that is, according to Romans chapter 1, under judgment. And this is how judgment works, and we're seeing it clearly, as clear as we've ever, ever seen it. And we're exactly, you and I as Christians, we're exactly where God wants us to be. Just like with the Philippians, the people in the church at Philippi, Paul is exhorting them here, okay, you're, you're not a part of this, but you're to be lights. You're to be lights in this crooked and perverse nation, this generation. So, so we need to remind ourselves, we're, we're exactly where we should be. I heard a preacher of the day, he said that, uh, he said, you know, we're living in the greatest times for Christians in the history of the world. And I thought, at first I thought, how can you say that? 
But then I thought, you know, that's exactly right. There's more crookedness, more perverseness now than it's ever been. And we're to be lights, we're to be salt and light in this crooked and perverse generation. Everything's exactly the way the Bible describes it in a nation under judgment. So that's where we are. Thank God. You can thank God for the blessings. Thank God for uh, all that uh, America has been. And many of us, us older folks here, we, uh, we were privileged to grow, up, to grow up in a nation that for the most part did fear God. People that did fear God, fear God. And people that were bent toward uh, Christian principles. But our generation now, uh, I, I'm sorry to say, you young people here and, and you young marrieds, you don't live in the America. You're not being brought up in the America that I was brought up in. But where are we? We're where God wants us to be. We're, we're, we're here in this generation, in this time. Like it was said of Esther, she, she was there for such a time as this. God had brought her to that place for such a time as this. God has brought us to where we are for such a time as this. So that's where we are. Second question is, who are we? Who are we? And that answer is very explicit here as well. We're described in verse 15 as sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. And we also are described as lights in the world. So we're given here two designations. First, we're children of God. Now that's a very clear separation from the crooked and perverse nation, isn't it? And to see the real foundation of Paul's thinking there, you go back to the 8th chapter of John's gospel uh, where the Lord makes that familiar distinction. In verse 42 of John 8, Jesus said to him, and he was speaking here to the Jewish leaders. They were, they were saying that God was their father. And Jesus said, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and have come from God. Why, why don't you understand what I'm saying? It's because you cannot hear my word. Why? Why can't you hear my word? Why don't you believe me? He said, because, because ye are, are your father, who? The devil. And you want to, and you want to do, you do the desires of your father. You want to please your father. Uh, why, why are people doing what they're doing today why in America here why are people doing what they're doing why are our politicians doing what they're doing why are the judges the uh, uh, the official people that are in places of leadership even in churches why are they doing what they're doing because they're of their father the devil and they'll do what the devil desires them for them to do what do you expect people to do if they're children of the devil One time I was on visitation with him, with a, another fellow, and, and uh, we knocked on the door. A guy came to the door, and he had, you know, he had a big old 
belly. <laughs> I had mine. Uh, had a big old belly, and he had on a T-shirt, and had a picture of a beer can, and said Budweiser. And he was standing there with a Budweiser in his hand. We began to talk to him. Well, when uh, you know, it started to leave, and uh, so the the guy was with me, and now he had been saved out of a life of drunkenness. He was an alcoholic. He got saved, and um, and so he had turned you know turned away from all that stuff. But he he told the guy. He said he said you know you ought not to be drinking that stuff. He said that that'll send you to hell. And you know he was on and on and on and on. And so you know. Finally, we went on, we got the car, and uh, I told him, I said, you know what? That guy's doing exactly what he's supposed to do. He's a child of the devil. He's lost. That's, that's, you know, that's what they do. They drink beer. They, you know, they get drunk. They, they live lives of, of immorality because they're children of their, of their father, and they behave like their father. Everything, everything in our this generation is as you would expect it to be. You know, we we, we uh, see every day. You know, people are lying to us. You know, they're lying to us about everything going on in the political world. They, you know, the government and all. They lie to us about stuff. All this stuff, you know, the last two or three weeks. You know, stuff going on. They're lying to us about it. Lying about it. Why don't they ever tell the truth? I'll tell you why they don't. It's because they're children of the devil. Children of the devil. And the devil doesn't stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When, when he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature. He is a liar and the father of it. So you expect them to tell you the truth? You expect them to be people of the truth? In fact, when you do speak the truth, they, they said here, uh, when Jesus said to them, he said, because I speak the truth, you don't believe me. Did you hear that? Jesus said, because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. And here's the issue. See, they'd have, they have no capacity to believe the truth. Because I speak the truth, Jesus said, you do not, you do not believe me. Why? They have, they have no capacity, they have no ability to believe the truth. They're blind by their own fallenness. They're double blind by Satan who has blinded the minds of those that do not believe lest the light of the glorious gospel should shine unto them. Multiple layers of blindness. They cannot see. They cannot understand. That's what Ephesians chapter 4 says. They have no understanding. Having ears to hear, they hear not. So, um, no, no understanding. They're cut off from the life of God. They're defined by ignorance. They're defined by hard-heartedness. They're defined by unbelief. They're defined by chasing after every imaginable and, and un, unimaginable impurity with greed. 
John 8, verse 47, it says, He who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason, you, don't, you do not hear them because you're not of God. You know why it's difficult to speak the truth to this generation? Because they don't have the capacity to understand it. Until they are regenerated, until they're brought from the darkness to light, until they're delivered from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear Son, Colossians chapter 1 says they have no capacity for the truth to even understand the truth at all. So this is the condition of the world that we're in, under judgment, crooked and perverse and utterly unable to hear and believe the truth because their nature is the nature of their father and it is murderous and it is deceptive. Now, we, on the other hand, are the children of God. You got the two different classes there. You got those that are children of the devil, but we're the children of God. The Bible says in John chapter 1, verse 12, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. And because we are the children of God, we know the truth, we hear the truth, we believe the truth, we love the truth. We live the truth, we fight for the truth, we proclaim the truth. Brother, Brother Tony said this morning, Jesus said, I am the truth, I am truth. First John chapter 3 verse 1 says, How great a love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. And, and such are we. For this reason, listen, for this reason, the world doesn't know us because it doesn't know him. So understand this, we're, we're aliens in this world. We're, we're citizens of heaven. We're aliens in this world. A world under judgment, a world that cannot know God, has no desire to know God has no faculty to accept the truth, can't understand who we are, sees us as an impediment to the freedom of their transgressions, and they want to get us out of the way so that nobody's questioning their sinfulness. And then he also says, Paul does, that we're lights in the world. That's the same word that's used to the sun and the moon and the stars. Believers shine as lights in the darkness. And he uses that little phrase there, among whom you appear as lights in the world. You're literally shining as luminaries. In Daniel chapter 12, verse 3, it says, when you lead other people to righteousness, you shine as the stars in heaven. Matthew 5, verse 14, you're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, so let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. What's your responsibility in the world as a child of God? It's to be the one who hears the truth, understands the truth, believes the truth, lives the truth, proclaims the truth, defends the truth, and by virtue of that truth, you become a shining light in the darkness. That's what we do. That's who we are. 
lights in this world of darkness. We, we, know, we know where we are. We're in a crooked and perverse nation that's under divine judgment. We know who we are. Malachi said that we're the possession of God. He knows who we are. He's written us in his book. Uh, there's a new name written down in glory, and it's mine. Oh, yes, it's mine. He knows my name. Like the choir sang this morning when he was on the cross, I was on his mind. He will protect us. He will use us as his children proclaim the truth and to shine as lights. <clears throat> so the last question then, really a very simple question, what are we to do? So here now, let's get practical. Let's get practical here. What are we to do? Well, it's revealed in the imperatives here in this chapter. The, uh, I was reading one time that, that the English of the King James Version of the Bible is, is like on an eighth grade level. That if you have an eighth grade education, you can understand very clearly the English of the King James Bible. Now, uh, I don't know if that's a good thing to say nowadays on an eighth grade level because we got people graduating high school that can't read. But it used to be, years ago, it used to be. My mama went to the third grade in school. They put her out of school to work on the farm. <clears throat> and, uh, but she taught herself to read and write. And she could read, and she read her Bible. She read her Bible every day. And, uh, and, and she, you know, she would, she would say to me sometimes after, after I was pastoring, you know, she would, uh, you know, we'd be talking about, and, and she, she would say, you know, I, I, thank, I thank God that he gave his word in a language we can understand. <laughs> Even a third grader can understand it. Uh, the King James, the King James English. Uh, kids, kids nowadays, you see, we're so busy teaching them about transgenderism and same-sex marriage and all that kind of stuff, we're not teaching them how to read and write. Janice and I, we got, especially since uh, Gene and Steve are not here, we Normally, on Sunday after church, we, we go to lunch together with them because Steve pays for it. So that's <laughs> But uh, so as, since they've been gone now, been, I've been going to this five-star restaurant down here on the corner, this McDonald's. Well, today after the service, she told me, she says, let's not go to McDonald's. And I, th I said, woman, you're not saved. You can't even be saved. You know, you... <laughs> She said, anywhere but McDonald's. So we went to Culver's. And, uh, but that's better, really. Culver's is better. They got a good hamburger at Culver's. I, I really like their hamburgers. But um, Sunday before, last Sunday, rather, last Sunday, we went down here to the McDonald's. And um, so I go up to that computer thing there, you know, where you do your, your self-order and 
I punched everything in that I wanted, and I stuck my card in there. It wouldn't, it wouldn't read it. <clears throat> and uh, so I banged on it a while, you know, stuck it in there a few times, wiped it, did all kinds of things, still wouldn't read it. So I went over to the counter and I told this kid, I told him, I said, um, come, come here. I said, uh, it wouldn't take my card there, so I'm going to have to order I'm just going to have to order it verbally. And so he said, all right. I said, now here's what I want. Very simple. Uh, I want two hamburgers, just plain, just regular hamburgers, you know, the little ones. And they've been being a dollar a piece. I don't know if they're still that or not, but I, said, I just want two hamburgers. And uh, I want a large French fry, and I want two large drinks. I said, you got that? Two hamburgers, a large fry, and two large drinks. Now, normally, I also get an apple pie, but he looked confused already, so I didn't want to get it mixed up. So I just said, we'll start with that. And so he, he looks there at that thing, you know, and, and he looked confused. And, and so he, he motions another kid over there, come here. And, and so the other boy went over there, and he looked just as confused as the first one did. So they're, they're in confusion. And I said, hey, listen, just punch in there. Two hamburgers, one large fry, and two large drinks. And uh, so finally he got it. And so then it give, it tells you the amount. So I, I, I he, he tried my card up there and it wouldn't work. So um, so I said, I'll just pay you cash. So I gave him the money. Well, it, it showed on there 68 cents change. So I'm not kidding you now. I'm not exaggerating this a bit. That kid, you know, the drawer's open. And he's looking at money there, and he's just looking at it. And I could tell he didn't know how to do what to do. He didn't know how to make change. And so I said, get your friend there to help you. Well, he looks at it, and he looked just as confused as that first one. So, so I told him, I said, listen, here's what you do. Look in there, get two quarters. There's a trainer has got two quarters. Get me two quarters and a dime. And I thought, I'm going to let him give me the two quarters of the dime, and then I'll tell him the nickel and three pennies. But so I didn't want to give him too much at one time. So, so he got the two quarters of the dime. Well, then he closed the drawer. <laughs> well, no, I said, just keep the change as a tip. <laughs> now, Thomas, that's the kind of employees you got working for you at McDonald's. But, I mean, that was just kind of a, you know, we're getting sidetracked there. I'm not, that's not part of the message. But I'm just telling you that um, here, all of us can, can read this that's here. And so tell it, what is, what is it we're looking at here? How are we to live in this world? Well, just, just, just mention some things that you can examine on your own. There are many instructions here that are direct. One of them appears in verse 5. Of chapter 2. He's talking there about the Lord, you know, when the Lord came, when he manifest here, when he uh, uh, came as a baby, you know, left heaven, came here as a baby. And the Bible says there he emptied himself, taking a form, taking the form of a servant. Now pay attention. Jesus emptied himself 
I assume that's talking about his deity, his glory. Uh, I don't understand that, but that's what it says. He emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. Now pay attention. And being made in the likeness of men, being found in fashion as a man, he did what? He humbled himself. Now we're talking about we're talking about the God of heaven. We're talking about the God of the omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient God of everything, sovereign. He humbled himself. Now we saw here a while ago that we're we're the children of God. We're lights in the world. So so how how are we to live? How are we to live? Well, the first thing, we're to live with an attitude of humility like our Savior. Selfless humility should mark us. James says, humble yourself in the presence of God and he will exalt you in due time. You don't want to take the fact that you're a child of God, that you're a light in the world, and you're so distinct that you belong to him eternally as something to be proud of. You're to humble yourself. Now, why? Because then you're prepared to suffer. See, he, he's, Paul's writing here to people who've been persecuted. See, they're on, they're on the rule of the Roman Empire. They, they, have, they have no, uh, you know, they're, they're actually captives in a sense. They're not able to make their own choices, their own decisions about things there. Uh, they're actually uh, servants of the Roman Empire. So humble yourself. Take take suffering the way the Lord took surf- suffering. Think like the Apostle Paul, who said that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings. Now that's that's not easy. You know, we we don't even like it that some of our freedoms have been taken away, you know, and I mean so far they're not taking us out and beating us or anything. They're not throwing us in jail. Some some Christians have been thrown in jail, but but you know, as a whole, I mean we're you know, we're still pretty free to uh worship and all. But but he said to to humble ourselves so that we so that we might endure suffering like Jesus. Have you come to the place in your Christian life whenever you whenever you pray, uh, Lord, I want to enter into your sufferings? There's another imperative here in this text, and that's in verse 12. Now notice here, uh, this very, sometimes people get kind of tangled up about this verse here. Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now it doesn't say there work for salvation. It says work out the salvation you already have. Work out your salvation with fear 
and trembling. Now, that means to obey. Just as you have obeyed, keep obeying, work out your salvation. Uh, let, let your salvation show up on the outside. You know, let it be manifest, obedience. Be demonstrably a servant, a servant of righteousness. There's so many, so many other imperatives here, but I want, I want to go down to verse 14. Uh, he said, do all things without murmurings or disputings. Without murmurings or grumbling. You know, even that word has a bad connotation, doesn't it? Grumbling. Grumbling. You're old grouch, you know. I'm just an old grumbler, an old grouch. You know what? The best thing that we can possibly communicate to the world as we live in these horrible times it is that we don't complain. We don't complain. Humble yourself. Live a holy life. Don't complain. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Look, you can't go around saying all, all that's true about you and that you're a part of the eternal invisible kingdom. You belong to God as his beloved children forever and you're headed for heaven. You can't say that and expect anyone to believe you if you just complain all the time. Because what you're saying is, I believe in God, but I don't believe that God's got control of the mess that we're in. I want to tell you or not, our God has complete control. Uh, there's nothing God surprised, nothing going on in this world God's surprised about. And going back to the very first point I made, we are where God wants us to be. We're in the world. We're not of the world, but we are in the world. And I think one of the most, one of the definitive things that you can say to people is, is, is exactly the way, uh, the world is exactly the way uh, the Bible describes it under judgment. Don't complain over what's happening in the sovereign purpose of God. Don't complain over your place in it. Paul said, I've learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. And don't dispute, don't argue with God over his purposes. You know, the happiest place to be is to be in the will of God and in the plan of God, and that's where we live and move and have our being. Uh, I'm, I'm glad that that I'm alive in 2022. I'm glad that I'm alive in a, in a time when our world our, and our country, our nation is in awful mess. I'm glad that I can be a light in this dark world that we live in. And, and while I do look back, you know, I think back to uh, earlier times, I think back uh, when I was younger, I think about back about how things were. <clears throat> Yet I, I'm, I'm not going to fuss with God one bit about being alive now. God has brought you and he's brought me to where we are for such a time as this. So let's, let's look up. Let's quit, quit moping around. Let's quit dragging our chin on the ground. Let's, let's look up. Let's be lights in this dark world.
Let's not be complainers, grumblers, grouches, but, but just to realize that, <clears throat> that as Paul did, Paul, he said, look at me, I'm being poured out as a drink offering. I'm in jail for the sacrifice and service of your faith. I rejoice and share my joy with you all. If I'm in jail and I'm joyful and I'm right where God wants me, then wherever you are, you need to have that same joy. The world needs to see us as joyful. Israel was, according to Deuteronomy 32, Israel was a crooked and perverse nation. Moses knew it. They sinned against God by complaining, and Moses complained, and Aaron complained, and Miriam complained, the Israelites complained. You get over into the book of Numbers, and you think they might have learned something by then, but they're complaining through the whole book of Numbers. Stop complaining. Stop com disputing with God. He is for us. He is in us. He is with us. And we don't win here, but we do win in the end. Amen, amen, and amen. Would you stand please with your heads bowed? Now, Heavenly Father, I pray that you bless the invitation time. I pray that you speak to every heart. I pray that all of us tonight, Lord, that we would, we would uh, come to the realization that we are where we are and who we are and the time that we're in uh, for a reason, for a purpose. And I pray, Lord, you'd help us that we would, uh, we would uh, not let the conditions of the world, the environment that we live in, the climate, that all of these things hinder us from being the people that you want us to be. And I pray, Lord, that we would, we would realize that the, the, darker, the darker the night, the darker the times, the brighter our light can shine. So help us be the, be the people that you'd want us to be, that you have us be. Help us, Lord, to yield ourselves to you Help us, Lord, to realize that while these are dark times, that we are the light of the world because we have Christ in us who is the light. And so I pray that, uh, that you would encourage us, Lord, encourage us as we move forward. We don't know what the future holds, but we know who holds the future. And so I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we sing a verse of this of uh, invitation song, we invite you to come. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Now. Wait a minute. 
wait a minute, don't sing anymore yet. Do you really mean that? Do you really mean that? Do you mean what you're singing? Have thine own way, Lord. Uh, what, if, what, if the way, what if the way the Lord's got for you is hard? What if it means some suffering, some persecution? Do you really mean that when you sing it? On the second verse, let's sing. <laughs> 